Father, we're thankful for the morning you've given us. What a joy it is to be together with your people and around your word. We echo the psalmist who wrote, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And today, although this is not your house, we're all the household of faith and we are joined together as a church body and we just thank you for this great privilege. And we just come today to look to your word and let it teach us what uh, it will about loving you and loving our fellow man and pray that it would be uh, clear and Holy Spirit you would bring understanding to our hearts today. I need your help as well as we uh, go from verse to verse so we'd get the right meaning of it. Pray these things in your name Christ. Amen. So it's a new lesson today. If you didn't pick one up, there's a bunch of them back there. So we're continuing on our uh, three-part uh, faith, hope, and love. We're in love. It's probably going to be about six weeks. We're in the third week of that. We've been talking about God's love for us, Christ's love for us, Holy Spirit's love for us. And we're going to be talking today about the believer, the Christian's love for God and for man. And I really desire just to... Just take the word and just read what it says and put that out there is what uh, God teaches. I think that's what His intentions are. So I haven't went with any other organized lesson that I that I picked up. This is stuff that I put together, and, and sometimes I feel like it's not that smooth. But uh, hopefully that doesn't make any difference. We'll get we'll get uh, where we need to go. So I just ask basically some questions, and then we're going to answer those with scriptures. And those questions are throughout the lesson here. What is the greatest commandment? And the second greatest, uh, the quest, second question is, what does it mean to love God? And how, how do we love God? I think a lot of times we talk about loving God, but what's that, what's that really mean, scripturally speaking? Another question would be, third question is, what does God's word say about loving our brothers? Question four, what does it look like to love the children of God? How is that lived out? Uh, very similar in a lot of ways. Question five, how does love aid or hinder evangelism and witness of Christ to the world? And six and seven, uh, particularly interested in answering. Question six, what are causes of a Christian's love to wane and grow cold? I think that's a trap and a possibility for all of us. And conversely, question seven, how do we grow in our love for God and our brothers? So those are some questions that we'll address that will try to help us get to our purpose statement on the very front page, which is to grow in our understanding and application of what it means to love God and our fellow members of the household of faith. So that's really the idea is to understand and then apply what it means to love God and love one another. So a question in an audience like this, I think there'll be a ready answer for this one. What is the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Great. Got it. So those are words of who? Jesus. And where did they originate from? Deuteronomy. Wow. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. If you want to turn there, that would be a good good thing to do that. Or you can write it down. I've got the scripture reference out, but I don't have the, the verse itself. So if you want to turn there, you can. <clears throat> So you're saying, you might be saying to me, so you're saying, John, this is Deuteronomy, that's the Old Testament. Is that good for us as well? As people who are under the, the New Covenant, <coughs> this is the Old Covenant. I want to say up front that, that this command is consistent through all the covenants, both the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. So it's a consistent theme in all covenants. 
So it is relevant to us as well. But Deuteronomy 6, the uh, Jewish people would have said this daily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. I think the version that Marcy quoted actually had four, heart, soul, mind, and strength from the New Testament. Matthew 22, 34-40 has that. Uh, Mark 12, 30, and 31. So, this would have been recited every day by the uh, Jewish people as a part of their, of their heritage and their understanding of, of loving God. So you go to Matthew 22, 34-40, and this is where the young man comes and asks the question. It's a good question. What's the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I think it's Mark 12, 31 that adds, or 12, 30 that adds with your strength as well. Jesus said, This is the first and great commandment. So it's interesting, that young man should have already known that, that this was a great commandment. He probably did. So that is the end of the law. Right? It's the completeness. Everything, the 643 commandments, I believe it's said, that are part of the Old Testament covenant, all boil down to loving God and loving your neighbor. All of them. So that is really a complete statement. This is, this is our whole duty, duty of man. Love God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So we'll get into that a little bit more as we go on here. So what is the second greatest commandment? Marcy said it. Mark 12, 30-31, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. I think sometimes when it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, we would say, well, we already love ourselves. But I think the real meaning of that is more like the golden rule, you know, love others the way you would love to be loved. Do unto others what you would have others do unto you. So love people the way you would want to be loved more than loving yourself, I think, is the, is the meaning of that. So the statement to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul picks up on that in Romans 13, 8-10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. In Romans 13. And other scriptures talk about loving our neighbor. I don't know if I got them all or not, but Matthew 19, 19, Mark 12, 31, Galatians 5, 14, and James 2, 8. Uh, Galatians 5, 14 is an interesting one. They were, the Galatians were tempted to, uh, with their freedom from the law, just live life and use their freedom as an occasion of the flesh. But Paul says, don't use your freedom as an occasion to the flesh, but in love serve one another. So he really laid that out there. That's the bottom line. Love one another. Well, question two, and I, this, I really want your input here. You can look down below and see some of the answers that I've put down, but before you do that, I want to hear what you guys think about it. What does it mean to love God? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to love God? How do we do that? Keep His commandments. Okay, keep His commandments. So that's the bottom of the page 
page 2, at least it is in my copy, maybe it is in yours. To love God is to obey Him. That is replete in Scripture. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. I love the NLT version of 1 John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Yeah, Mark, you got that exactly right. And there are others on, on obeying, obeying Him, particularly from John, both in the Gospels and in his writings. Other ways that we love God. Of learning about him and seeking to know him Never tire of learning about, learning about him, knowing him, yeah. growing. Yeah. Do you have any scriptural reference on that? Not Ruth? The top of my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Second Peter three eighteen, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't mean to put you on the spot no, there, Ruth. Okay. I thought that you had works, one. That works. Yeah. It's all over in Psalms. Okay. What yeah. you just said. Yes. Psalm as, one. I thought of as a deer peeing after water, but I don't know the reference. There you go. I, I don't keep them together very well. Mm-hmm. Read Psalm 40 something. something Somebody yeah. want to look that up, they can. Yeah. 42. Cade says Psalm 42. It's a he usually knows that stuff, so I think he's right. Yeah, he knows. Yeah. And Psalm 119, just over and over again. Yeah. Oh, I love thy law and thy testimonies. They're yeah. my delight, my counselors. Yeah. And Psalm 19 is a short version of Psalms. Yes. 119. Yeah. Yeah, I think in, in relation to what Ruth is saying, one I didn't write down here, but one I wanted to cover is to love God means to love his word. To love God means to love his word. And again, just Psalm 119, over and over and over again. As well as in many other places in in the book of Psalms. <clears throat> there is an element of like longing to be with, with him. There's a desire to for God. Is, so there is a, a an affectionate like I want to please him. I want to see him. I want to be with him. And just think about Paul's example in Philippians. And he's like, I don't know which one to choose. If I stay, I'm going to do more ministry. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus. And he, he wants to be with Jesus. So there's a the longing is there's definitely an element of that love for God. That's a great point. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere in the courts of the Lord. That kind of, yeah. It's that idea that, that obedience is not burdensome. It is something that you want to do. You want to obey Him. I love that about when John says that uh, and His commandments are not burdensome. Yeah. When I hear somebody saying it's just hard, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I mean, the psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, oh my God. I delight to do it. It's not a burdensome thing. So that's an indication of love for God when it's my burden, take my yokes. My burden is easy. The yoke is easy, my burden is light. <clears throat> it's not hard when our Lord asks us to do it. It's something we want to do, to like to do. I'd say we grow on our level when we remember <coughs> everything he's done. Mm-hmm. Psalm 103. Just call to mind mm-hmm. his faithfulness. Yeah. It tends to increase our affection. Over and over. It's one of the purposes of <coughs> communion every Sunday mm-hmm. to remember. What else do you guys have? I was just going to say, exalting his name, lifting up his name to others in your speech. Mm -hmm. Continually talking of his goodness. Yeah, whatever you do in word or in deed, giving glory to him, what you say to other people. 
Yeah. Giving him credit, praise, <coughs> his right place. Kind of goes along with uh, A under question number two, worship, praise, and serve him. You guys want to turn to uh, Luke 4, 8. Jesus answering Satan during his time of temptation, the temptation of Christ. He, Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Saint, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. So this is loving God is worshiping Him only and serving Him only. And I put down Exodus 20, verses 2 through 6. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And let's, let's flip over there really quick. It's pretty interesting how those first four commandments are more geared towards our vertical relationship, loving God, and then five through ten are more loving our neighbor. So we want to read Exodus 20 verses 2 through 6. I can't. Okay. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And there it is, Mark's original point. Love, you love God by keeping His commandments. And right there it is again. Very clear. You shall have no other God or no other love before me. There should be no desire. There should be no other image other God before me. That shouldn't be a hard thought. We, we, we wouldn't think that with our spouse. We would expect our spouse to love no one else. Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as that intimate love, so God asking the same out of us should not be a foreign thought to us. Yeah. But thankful for the gospel because all of us, I, I said this like in the original time we were going through on love, that all the commandments come down to loving God and loving your neighbor. So any sin is a transgression of that. And we all have transgressed that. Thankful for His mercy and His grace in the gospel. We come short of that, but for a believer, He does give us a new heart. A new mind, we desire to follow after him and to love him. I think B goes a lot along with that. He has first place in, in everything and in every way. Again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. I think the uh, point of that verse is not to like distinguish there's four parts to you. You know, your soul, your mind, your strength, your heart. I think it more completeness. It's like everything. Your whole being, I think, is the, the point of that. So we talked about letter C, to love God is to obey Him. Let's go to page 3, letter D. We love God by loving others. John is so direct. Someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I mean, it's just so direct. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that 
he who loves God must love his brother also. So he's really quoting Jesus here, this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So you're loving God when you love your brothers. It's real clear. That's how we love God as well, just loving one another. I was going to throw out a couple of examples here in Luke 7, 36 through 50. Dan, you brought that up last week. That is the, that is the story of the, when Jesus went to the home, I believe, of Simon and a Pharisee. And the woman comes in and worships Christ, worships his feet, perfumes him. And Jesus tells the story about Simon. Who loves more, the one who's forgiven 500 denarii or one who's forgiven 50? And he said, I suppose the one is forgiven more. So I think we love God the more we understand how much we're forgiven. I think it's really that simple. You have the example of Simon, a self-righteous Pharisee who thought he was a good person. And he believed that his standing, right standing with God was accomplished by what he did as opposed to the woman who knew I'm done. I'm lost. Dan. So I think that's, that illustrates that um, loving God means understanding how much we're forgiven and how much the cost was for that forgiveness. Like the lady who pours out the expensive perfume, she understood the value of everything because she loved God. The other one is Matthew 6.24. <clears throat> That's where Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in riches. So if you're serving money, riches, you're not loving God. You're serving and worshiping money. So I thought it would be good just to think a little bit about how someone who loves the world and loves riches, how that compares to loving God. Like what what are some things you know to the person, be it yourself or someone else who loves money? What do they do to prove that they love money? What do you see in their life that would indicate that? I would call that a devotion to yeah. that singular <clears throat> pursuit. Singular focus. singular focus, a devotion, yeah. So someone who's devoted to riches is devoted their life to that accomplishment. So someone who loves God devotes their life to God and His purposes and His mission and His commandments. So what else would you characterize somebody who... They don't give credit to God. They don't give glory to God for it. They earned it. They worked hard. So. Yeah, very much so. <clears throat> and they get recognition. I see these celebrities that give money to some random whatever, and then they get the news. Everybody knows. Well, how's that glorify? That doesn't glorify God. And when you look at the amount, you say to yourself, yeah, but you've got millions. I mean, it just seems, it falls flat when I see it. I think, first of all, I shouldn't even know about it. I don't need to know that you're giving. Okay, that's the first thing. Second of all, that isn't that much. You know? <laughs> I mean, really. So I just kind of get tired of all the, oh, look how wonderful they are. Yeah, well, the fact that we're hearing about it kind of diminishes it right there. Am I right? <laughs> you, know, you guys can't disagree. So. <laughs> yeah, I think there's an amen around here. It's yeah. so, so flattery. Right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Also, like you have, there's no middle ground. It's an extreme. It's either extreme saving, and they don't spend anything because they idolize having a certain number in the bank, or it's extreme spending, and they just spend all of their money 
to show how much money they have. Mm -hmm. I think the point of that is it's central to their life. So loving God, it's central to our life. It's all-consuming. It's everything. It's all for Him, as opposed to all for self. We also talked a little bit about uh, anxiety and fear. It's, they're just they're always looking and counting and figuring. Look at the stock market. What what is my what are my investments doing? What is my, my budget? And all, uh, there's just a um, maybe a fixation and a fear of losing money and if my. <coughs> retirement's going down or my, all of that savings and the value of the savings with the economy and the, there's just a lot of fear there's a lot of room for fear mm -hmm. when it's based on having a certain amount of wealth mm -hmm. it's the measure of their life yeah they're not generous tend to be stingy with their time and their resources mm -hmm. very much so Okay, I want to move ahead to question three. What does God's word say about loving our brothers? Let's just look at that. So loving our brothers, it's of God and is given to those born of God. We read that in 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us not love one another, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So foundationally, the source of love for our brothers comes from our rebirth from above. First John 4, 7. What does God's word say about loving our brothers? In, in B it says it's commanded by God. And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. First John 4, 21. It's commanded by Christ. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. You could also <clears throat> look at other references. John 15, 12-13, and 1 John 3.23. I think we'll keep moving so we can get to some questions here at the end. We are to love after the example of Christ. Letter D. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So we are to love one another in the same way that Christ has loved us. How's that? Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So this is our way of loving our brothers. We lay our life down for our friends, our brothers. Letter E, loving the brethren is confirmation of our family status. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. That's really interesting. You can't say you love God and not love your brothers because you will love whoever's been born of Him. By this we know. This is how we know that we love the children of God and we love God and obey His commandments. So that's the biblical commands. So how do we, what's it look like to love the children of God? How's that lived out? I thought we would go through some scriptures here. I didn't write most of those down on here. But I want us to read those. I think we'll save love defined because that's where we're going to go in the next couple weeks. As far as the 1 Corinthians 13. So somebody look up Matthew 25, 34 through 36, and then somebody else, James 1, 27. And get real practical here. How do we, what's love for God's children look like? Matthew 25, what? 34 through 36. <coughs> Um, then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. That's what it looks like. 
Those are the blessed of the Father. Those are the sheep. Those are the ones who gave the cup of water in the Lord's name. Nobody saw. Contrary to what you're saying, Carol, all the self-flattery, these are done in secret, rewarded openly. Somebody look up James 127. Okay, three. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Yeah. My parents who went on to their reward, so this isn't giving them a reward before men. That My sister Mary could attest to this. Often our Sunday nights were go visiting somebody who was a widow, generally, uh, occasionally a, a widower, but it was very common. Our parents really modeled that. I, I respected that a lot about them, and that's that's pure religion, to love others by visiting and encouraging one another. Letter C, lived out with actions and in truth. So we want to read First John three eighteen. Little children, let us love and word, or excuse me, little children, let us not love and word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's where talk is cheap comes from or whatever, you know? So this is a call to actually live it out in deed and in truth. You actually, in fact, do. Not You do more than just talk about it, so... John's really calling us to action here. Actually doing it. Actually loving one another. So love is an action. We talked about that earlier. Love is an action. God did not sit in heaven and have warm feelings. You know, God sent His only Son. Loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. Okay, letter D. Love lays down one's life for the brethren. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That whole word of lay down is what Jesus did with his life. Uh, deliver up, to gave himself, that's the same word, that giving, laying down, delivering over. So it's just a wholesale, we're giving our life over for our brothers. And it may not be terminal at first. It may just be giving up your agenda, meeting a need when you had a different path you were headed on. I mean, that's the start of it. Just give, and you do that to God first, to Christ first, to give up your life for His service, your wants and wishes and desires. And so you just keep doing that for others. That's following Christ too. Yeah. There's always a sacrifice involved, isn't there, yeah. Ruth? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. could be. Usually is. Literally laying up your, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the song that most encapsulates this whole theme is Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. It talks about taking all parts of our life and using it for whatever purpose. Love forgives injuries and wrongs. So we want to read Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave. Yeah. Love it. We forgive one another's the injuries and the wrongs that are done to us and the wrongs we do to others as well. Love covers others' faults. Interesting. So we want to read Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Love covers all transgressions. First Peter <clears throat> quotes that and talks about love covering a multitude of sins. 
the natural man, the one that walks in the flesh, loves to point out other people's transgressions and shortcomings, but love actually covers up others' transgressions. We get in a big discussion. Does that mean you don't go address sin if you see it? So there's another vein to that, but I think you all understand the intended meaning of that is you don't gossip and, and parade other people's sins in front of others in a sinful way. Ephesians 4.2, love is forbearing. Has anybody looked ahead and looked at that one? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. <coughs> you don't have to answer this, but do you have somebody for whom you're doing that? <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, sometimes it's our spouse. Sometimes it might be a child. Sometimes it's just people in our church community, somebody you work with. That's how we practically live that out. Colossians 3.14. I'll read that one. Nobody's there. Colossians 3.14 says, But above all these things, so he gives all these lists of instructions, and he says, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. In other places, talks about that being bond of unity, perfection, brings us together. And love should be ever increasing. Out of 1 Thessalonians 4 9 through 10, I loved how Paul said this Brothers, concerning you, you, you should love one another, or love. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So just keep increasing in it. If you're a loving person and God has given you that blessing in your life, just keep doing it more and more. It should ever be increasing. So we've got about... 12, 11, 12 minutes. I wanted to end with some questions here. How does our how does love aid or hinder evangelism and the witness of Christ to the world? Or does it? By speaking the tongue of men or angels that have not love, I'm clanging gong. So we don't speak to those that are that are perishing in their sins without love, which is a noisy rat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to that next week, Lord willing, in 1 Corinthians 13. That is the amazing. You can be the best preacher in the world. You can be the best evangelist in the world. You can have more faith than anybody in the world. If you don't have love, it's, it's nothing. Why is that? What does Jesus say about that? Well, your motives would be wrong. If you're not loving, what, what's your motive? Right? I guess? Mm-hmm. Probably self. Like, yeah. look how much I know. Yeah. How much faith I have. Look how good a teacher I am. On and on and on. And people can see that. People can yeah. sense your motives. And they will know we are Christians by our love. Bingo, Ruth. If we're not loving, we're, we're not. Yeah. It really messes up our witness. I mean, you say you're of God, but you can't love this person. That is 100% correct, and that's the point of this question. John 13, 35. By this, all all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And by this, they will all know that you're not my disciples when you don't have love for one another and you fight and devour and eat each other up. It's powerful. So when you ask that question, how does love hinder evangelism? 
How does your love for brother hinder your evangelism? Is that what you're asking also on that question? Yeah, how does love aid or lack of love, I should say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I don't have that I don't have that worded very well. But it can work the other way too. If the person that you're ministering to can't receive love, sometimes it hinders because they shut you down. They they don't want anything <clears throat> from you, so it may it, they may close the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the opposite way. Yeah. You see that. <clears throat> so how does love aid evangelism, or a lack of love hinder? Yeah evangelism and the witness of Christ to the world. So poorly poorly worded in my part. Good job there, Mark. Well when I first read that, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. When I when I read it that way, I, I thought the only way that love could hinder evangelism is if you misunderstood what love is and yeah. decided to just not be of any offense mm-hmm. to to somebody. Because the gospel is offensive. offensive. Yeah. You misunderstand and just don't want to offend anybody because you don't think that's loving. That would hinder mm-hmm. your evangelism. Yeah, but that would be a misunderstanding of what love is. Yeah. Will you've got? Yeah, I was going to actually agree with Miles exactly. You have to know what the true definition of love is biblically, because the world says just love everybody. Love is love, and uh, affirmation is love, and accepting sin is love. The progressive Christian church is really infiltrating they'll say all these verses and, and use this and it sounds so great but it's unbalanced so yeah. when you go out there we have to know what the truth is and balance that otherwise we'll just be sucked in and we'll look like the enemy if we're trying to share <coughs> wait a second this is the gospel we have to know what sin is because they don't want to know what sin is they just want to hear love the definition of love to the world is tolerance Anything goes, you have your life. I'm going to respect that, love that. It's, just, it's ridiculous, but it's kind it's of true. I think some of the verses you kind of work into the lesson a little bit. Like I, the first John 3 18, like, let us not love in word or talk, which probably kind of falls into that. Oh, yeah, like just in word and talk falls in with just agreeing and affirming, but, but it says, but in deed, so in action. And in truth, mm-hmm. so sometimes taking him to the truth and saying, "This I'm loving you by telling you what the truth is," you may not like that, you may not respond well to that. But that's now Ephesians four, speaking the truth in love. You also mentioned like lack of love. If you have somebody who does not love people, but they're evangelizing, and they end up hurting people, you know, you see that. In some of these circles, you see abuse happening and these things happening, and it really turns people off to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then you have to come back and have these conversations with them, and, and it, it, that can really hinder the, the spread of the gospel because they see these people and they think, oh, well, that person was supposed to love me, and they did not, but yet they were telling me one thing and their actions were not showing, and that lack of true godly love can be a huge hindrance to the gospel. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try to get through the rest of these questions. Question number six. What are causes of a Christian's love to wane and grow cold? Or what causes, I guess, a Christian's love to grow cold and wane instead of wax? Sin. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's <laughs> lawlessness, it's sin. Walking, lack living, continuing. What's that? Lack of the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, going back to that Deuteronomy scripture you gave, he gives the whole list of Deuteronomy 10. You know, this was required of you. Moses telling the people, this was required of you. You know, the fear of the Lord your God to walk in all his ways. This is the requirement to love and to serve the Lord God. I think they just we just lack of fear of the Lord. We have we taken him off his throne and put the capital of us on top. That's caused a lot of just to disintegrate. We love ourselves. 
serve that. Definitely love ourselves more than we love God. That's what sin does. <clears throat> to Heather's point, it's <coughs> lawlessness. It's sin. It's it's Matthew twenty four twelve, because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. He's talking about the last days. So sin. Got the Hebrew scripture. 313, I believe, that don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I think 1 John 2.15 is another way that our love as a Christian can grow cold. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So guaranteed way for your love for God and Christ to grow cold, turn cold, is to love this present world. First, or 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul wrote, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So Demas was once with Paul as an evangelist, but he began to love the world. A lot could be said about that. Yeah, so ignoring the disciplines that I think that's what you're talking about here is is a sure way of falling out of love for God. You know, I think along with that there's there's a tendency to not think carefully about and this is how, that's how you get like churches who will accept all kinds of different sins and like but they're, they're not discerning um, so I think of like Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine, abhorring what is evil. So mm -hmm. like it's side by side. Mm -hmm. You don't just, that is going against that idea of just, well, love just means that I'm going to accept everything and it's not thinking carefully because if you love something, you're hating what is against that thing that you love. So mm -hmm. if we love the Lord, we hate what the Lord mm -hmm. hates. We hate evil, we hate those things and we fight against it. But there's this kind of a, Maybe I don't know if it's sometimes in some of it's probably laziness of I just don't want to do the thinking that's required to differentiate between what I should approve and what I should um, reject. Um, some of them it's a fear of man and I want to be accepted, so mm -hmm. I'm going to just accept things that I, I kind of know probably aren't biblical. But um, so there's like this uh, a lack of thinking biblically and seeing things as, as through the lens of scripture. Yeah. That's a great uh, Romans 12, 15? 12, 9. 12, 9. Let your love be genuine and abhor that which is evil. Yeah. That's excellent, bro. This one might surprise you. Pursuit of spiritual gifts or knowledge that's sensational at the expense of love can lead to a cold, loveless, mechanical theology. So the Corinthian church had that issue. They really highly valued knowledge and spiritual gifts, prophesying, speaking in tongues, healings, miracles. But Paul said, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. So they were pursuing good things at the expense of love. So always like what Paul Tripp says, a good thing becomes a bad thing, it becomes a ruling thing. It's something you have to have. So he had to have this knowledge and it puffs. Knowledge puffs up, puffs up, but love will edify. That's not a knock on pursuit of knowledge. It's a knock on pursuing knowledge at the expense of, of love. And we see that in Ephesians, the Ephesus church in Revelation 2, 1 through 6. He commended their defense of the truth. You hate the Nicolaitans, their doctrine. You're a moral people, but I've got this against you. Your love for Christ has waned. They were, in many ways, sounded good. So it goes back to what I heard a lady at the Shepherds Conference say that in a, a concise sentence really put down what the purpose of the church is. We teach good doctrine and we love people. So you can 
get off the fence on either side there, mm -hmm. off the road, either way, cause your love to grow cold. Walking in the flesh, a pursuit of riches. One of the one of the soils in the parable of the soils says that they, they become uh, consumed with pursuing riches, among other things, so that can cause your love to grow cold. Got one minute. Question number seven. How do we grow in our love for God and our brothers? Spend time with them. What's that? Spend time with them. Spend time with them. So, yep, you're doing that today. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Yep. Study. Fellowship. Community. Fellowship. Life study of, of Christ and pursuing, pursuing the person of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly, Dan. We got this little book. I think we got this in the resource center still. Keeping the Heart, How to Maintain Your Love for God. It's written by a Puritan, John Flavel. But excellent little book. So I think you have to, I think you have to pursue. I think you have to, to Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love. I think you have to pursue the Lord, desire Him, as we were talking earlier about in Psalms. Live an obedient lifestyle. Practice godliness. It's over and over again in Paul's letters to the pastoral epistles in Timothy and Titus. I will say this in the 70s and 80s, kind of the easy believism, you know, it was just like confess with your mouth and, you know, believe the Lord, you'll be saved. There was a kind of a uh, lack of emphasis on obedience. Obedience is underrated. I'm just, that's what I'm trying to say. It really is. <clears throat> And the more you, the psalmist says in 119, the more I obeyed, the more I understood God's precepts. You really do know the Lord through obedience. You do. It's just, it's the way it works. So, meditate upon the attributes of God one by one, other ways. Stay in the Word. Maria had mentioned that earlier. Understand our own sinfulness, how much we've been forgiven. It's one way to grow in our love for God. There's others, but we are officially out of time and in love for you who have duties and need to be going like Miles. Bless you today as you lead us in worship. And Lord willing, we'll do this again next week.